Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Bree. And we have a guest with us today. We are so excited to share with you. We have author Marcella Bell. Marcella, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be doing this with you guys today. We are super excited to have you here with us. Um, We've established that before we hit the record button. We've gone over (laughs) that quite a bit. So yes, very excited. Um, How has your 2022 been so far? It has been... It's been so it's a big I just had a baby a month ago. So I, Congratulations. I so I my my third child welcome. So the, most of it has been gestational. I will say okay. that. <laughs> but it but now things are really starting to kind of pick up and, and move again now and, and it, it really reflects that. I was I was growing a human and now that human is out in the world and, and the energy is freed up and the and the human is here and we're adjusting and it's it's a lot, but it's really beautiful too. And also writing in amongst all of that. So Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Well, are you ready to get into some icebreakers? Yes, let's do it. All right. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? Okay, I had to think about it. This is really great. So I would say my warning label is contents may surprise you. And that that could go on me or on any of my books. (laughs) (laughs) What was your first job? Uh, I worked at the Oregon Zoo. And, oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah, and, and the Oregon Zoo actually will hire you before you're 16. So I actually got my first tax paying job when I was 14. Wow. And it was at the Oregon Zoo. I worked in mostly when you work there that young, you're working in the food service part of it. So at the different carts and um, different restaurants that are on the zoo grounds. Uh, but they, it's a really beautiful place. And even on the food service side, you have these moments where you can actually have strange encounters with animals. So um, sometimes I would be working um, near where they did the birds of prey show. And one time a bird flew over me, a bird of prey, and pooped on my head. And so <laughs> that was like, it was like this lifelong story of birds pooping on my head. But um, more fun stories as I was working in one of the more remote, snack kiosks and it was near a marmoset enclosure and the marmoset came up to the window and put its hand on the window when it saw me and so I got to put my hand on the window and then we had this hand thing and, and it was really beautiful <laughs> so, so it was a great first job but I've been paying taxes since 14. <laughs> that's so cool. Oh that's super cool well, besides reading and writing what's one of your what was one of your teenage obsessions? Um, anime, and I still am obsessed with anime, and I'm going to date myself a little bit here. When I was young and obsessed with anime, we did not have streaming services, and so you really couldn't access a lot of anime. You really just had... Um, I had Sailor Moon uh, that they ran on actually regular TV when I was really little, but then later on Cartoon Network. So I was really into um, Toonami and all the all the anime that they offered like in the afternoon and in the evening uh, later at night. And so I, and sometimes if I had saved up my pennies, I would go to Suncoast and buy something, but I was, I started the anime club at my school. Oh, that's <laughs> so great. I'm really into yeah. anime. <laughs> I mean, am I, I'm thinking back to that. Am I correct in that? Like really cartoon network was, did it kind of introduce it to us? It really did. So I think, so Sailor Moon was on, on regular, 
regular cartoon, like regular network television. But then it, that was it. That was like it at all. And then Cartoon Network came out and it had, it reran Sailor Moon. It ran Dragon Ball Z. They Dragon did Gundam Wing. They did, they just did the afternoon block. And, and later they, they just really, really brought it to American audiences as, a, yeah. as accessibly at least. Cause you could always go to the video store, you could buy it, but it was not easy to get for a really long time. Yeah, okay. very limited just, selection too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not all of it appropriate for kids. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that is very true. I remember having the conversation with my sister recently. Like, she pointed it out to me. She's like, Cartoon Network is really new when you think about it. And I was like, Wow, yeah, it is. Like, Nickelodeon was obviously always around, but I remember. Cartoon Network becoming a thing and it introducing cartoons that didn't look like the other cartoons mm-hmm. and that's what it was. Yeah, yeah it really, so really cool. was that. That's the you're you're right there with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I have to ask: Are are you watching Spy X Family? Um, so not right now. Right now, because I missed so many things, and because my kids, my older kids, are actually just at the age where they're getting into it, we're actually going back and doing a lot of the ones that I didn't get a chance to watch either because they weren't available or because they came out and I thought it was too old. So we we're actually watching Naruto right now, and we're watching okay. we're like going all the way through Naruto the whole way, like, huh? <laughs> the whole way, like all <laughs> seven gazillion episodes <laughs> <Yeah>. and movies. <laughs> We are into it, but do you recommend it? I would. We are always. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. It's it is so wonderful, especially if you're a romance fan. It's got the whole fake relationship, family thing going on, but like spy espionage comedy stuff. It's it's fantastic. It's one of the best uh, in a while. Oh, I will definitely check it out. You can tell, you can hear in your voice how good it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely check it out. So next time Marcella Bell is on the podcast, she will be reviewing um, <laughs> anime. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, we read on your website that you're a registered yoga teacher. We'd love to hear yeah. about your yoga journey. Um, it's so, so I started practicing yoga when I was 19 because the first time I took a class was as a college sophomore and I took it for the very kind of, uh, classic reasons of, um, being like, oh, I'm stressed and I'm sure I, I don't, I know that this is a, this is a thing that can help with stress. So I took it and instantly fell in love instantly, like immediately knew that this practice was for me and felt just like a homecoming um, and even it was an interesting thing because even from that first class, I actually knew I would it would become I would become a, a teacher at some point in my life. But I also had this really beautifully comfortable sense that it wasn't going to be for a while and that I could take my time. And that's really something that yoga practice brought to me is this sense of taking time and slowing down and kind of observing your own natural rhythm. And so I knew I was going to do it. But for the longest time, I just had a personal practice. And then um, around 30, actually, I, I, w- I had this urge and this knowing that it was the time to kind of take my practice deeper. I met some, I made some friends that they were further along in their practice than I was and introduced me to the um, deeper and more hol- holistic practice of yoga. So um, I knew yoga was beyond asana. I had enough of a knowledge to know that. But this friend of mine introduced me to a mantra practice and also introduced me to a study practice, a reading practice. And 
through that, I read um, the Ramayana and the Mahabharata. And those reading those just took me so much deeper into my practice that I knew I was ready to go take that next step and take the teacher training program. And I did that. And what was really fascinating about yoga was in, in taking that step to deepen that practice and say yes to that, it very powerfully opened me up to saying yes to other things. So it actually ended up really directly in, impacting my writing and making me more serious about writing, more um, more brave about going for writing. And um, so they, I, I really realized that they were kind of yoga, writing, um, and and my family ended up becoming these kind of three legs of the stool of who I really was and what really mattered to me. And so they really helped me kind of strengthen each leg by going into strengthening my yoga practice and really inspired me to go after the things I was more passionate about career-wise. So I left the path that I was on and really dove into working in bookstores and, and really making my whole life about books, about writing, about reading, about the written word, about storytelling. And that led me to the bookstore that I ended up working at, which um, Macy Yates and Caitlin Cruz walked through the door. Of, because and, of course. <laughs> because of course, right? And so they they walked through the door and I've been reading romance since I was about 12, but I, at that point, had never tried to write a romance. So the writing that I was doing, I was doing middle grade stories. I had done fantasy. I had participated here and there in little things. So. Years before this, I had done NaNoWriMo and, and done a project and I, I finished. I was so proud that it was a fantasy project and and all these different projects that were not romance because I my writing journey is this just constant denial of, of writing of the of what I want regarding writing. And so as I would say like, oh, I can never write a romance. I love it too much and I, I just could never do it. And then I met Macy and Caitlin and it was it, we started through the bookstore we started a romance book club. So then every month we're reading and I'm talking to these women and they're with their insight, with their with their knowledge from the inside, like from the publishing side of and the writing side of things, we're really turning romance into a seminar almost. And, and so by breaking it down, by focusing so much, by bringing it in so much, I was, eventually I was like, well, I think I'm going to have to try. <laughs> and they really, they were really huge mentors and encouraging and, and just like their friendship was really a big drive to try and start. And so I was like, oh, what should I start with? And Macy was, of course, like cowboys, do a cowboy, write a cowboy romance. And so I wrote uh, the first draft of The Wildest Ride. And I, I, I finished that and I was just hooked. I loved it so much that I wanted to do more. And right around that time, um, Presents was doing a blitz. And so I didn't want to write another cowboy right away. I wanted to dive right back into writing romance, though. This blitz happened. I, Macy and Caitlin Wright presents. And so I was like, oh, obviously this is the next step. And the Blitz submission that I did became Stolen to Wear His Crown. And oh my it just like everything, <laughs> like just, it just, I just felt guided. And again, going all the way back to your original question about my yoga practice, it really was just taking these steps that then the next step became clear and the next step became clear. And so I wrote, I wrote the Blitz. I got into the. I, I got accepted to the Blitz because the Harlequin Blitzes are um, kind of you write a, your first few chapters and then you submit and they they if you win you get to work with an editor to develop it and then with the hopes of publishing it. 
So I got selected and that was in late June that we found out. And it was right before the 2019 RWA. And it was like, I didn't have tickets. I wasn't planning to go. RWA was in July. So it was literally the next month. And I found out that, that the editor who had selected Stolen Warriors, what became that, um, she was going to be there. And I just knew, I just knew that I needed to go and I needed to meet Flo. And that was the the one driving reason I went <laughs> to RWA. I was I'm gonna meet Flo and she, we're gonna we're gonna just meet in person. And so I went and the only thing I had planned before was my my meeting with Flo. We had tea in the morning because she was so busy. Her schedule was already totally booked and filled with everything that that people who planned ahead of time were going to do. And then I went and um, Macy and Caitlin and Jackie and Nicole were all there. So I got to go see them. And I, I hadn't really, I'd met Jackie once because she'd visited Jackie Ashenden. She'd visited um, uh, Oregon to visit Macy and Caitlin. And so I'd gotten a chance to meet her. And I had not met Nicole, Nicole Helm, who writes for um, Intrigue. And we all met and it was really, really just, it was so neat to meet them in person and feel the energy with them of the kind of almost like a romance summer camp. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we we were there um and then also I just they were all busy because they had all planned a schedule again and so I had a bunch of time on my hands and I, was, I went to some of the workshops I went to some of the talks and I was like I guess I'll go to the agent speed dating session <laughs> I guess I just it's on a whim I'll go I do have a finished thing so I'll go with that so I went and met agents in the speed dating round. Again, signed up and like wasn't signed up ahead of time. So just was like penciled in name at the end. And through that, I ended up getting contacted by one of the agents I met. And through that, I ended up um, in multiple steps getting to my agent. And right around the time that we, I got the actual, like, so just before really getting the contract of for to, to officially write the whole whole presents of Stolen to Wear's Crown, I also got an agent. And then shortly after getting my contract for Stolen to Wear's Crown, I sold the wildest ride. So it just all happened, just bam, 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 like hand of fate is operating. Um, and then the pandemic started. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and that kind of, all of that brings us to here. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, we can put that officially on the list of things you weren't expecting. So I was at work at a bookstore and in walks Maisie Yates and Caitlin Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> and then the funniest course. thing was the meeting was actually not like a it was it was a romance meeting in itself and it was very much an enemies to lovers initially. So not for me, but so they had come in once before or no they no they I was there the first day they came in. And they came in and they were like, where's your romance section? And the store had been open by the, the woman who opened the store, who is just, she's literally like one of my very, very best friends in the whole world now. And we, um, her name is Eileen and she was a doctor. And she did so much research and preparation before opening the store. And she had been advised not to carry mass markets because she had been advised that they did not make enough money to carry on the shelf for a store her size. The store is 525 square feet, so it is a tiny little store. You walk in and you're in the whole store, just stepping in. Um, it's so beautiful. It's got these big, huge doors open, so it has an open-air feel. It's a wonderful place, but she had had made that decision. And so I was hired, and we had just met at this time, 
And I had a lot of experience at bookstores because I had worked at Barnes and Noble in Portland and I had worked at another larger, more established indie in Southern Oregon. And so I just had more bookstore experience. So she was new opening the store, but knew had this beautiful vision. And then I had a lot more experience and we just came together and it was, it was in itself a, a kismet meeting. And I was like, okay, well, I'm getting to know you. I'm I'm going to play the long game here. We will eventually have romance, but I'm not going to push it. Like I'm not going to push it right away. But Macy and, and and Caitlin walked in and they're like, "Oh, I see that you're just another one of those indies that thinks you're too good for romance." <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the energy with which we met. And Eileen, being the person she is, so she was specifically an ER doctor, which I think matters because it. She just has this ingrained um, urge and and inclination to consult. And so Mm -hmm. they came in and they came in with this energy and she was like so good at redirecting that into, she's like, no, you guys are right. I don't know. I haven't read a romance since The Wolf and the Dove. And I, she loved that, but it'd been years. She'd gone to medical school. She hadn't read one in a long time. She's like, so what do you guys recommend? I carry and, and so she, um, Macy and Caitlin sent, sent lists. And then through that process, we started the book club. And the book club was intended to be this kind of, a lot of people don't read romance and don't think they read romance and have a lot of ideas about romance. So let's have this club. Let's create this space where we just face all that head on. And so we, we went from this contentious meeting in which I'm like protective of Eileen and just like not, not, not showing my cards. And then to starting this romance book club where we then are revealing our inner lives to each other and our deepest, I mean, because it's romance, you talk about fantasies, you talk about your yourself, you bring yourself out. And so in this space, we just created this wonderful environment. And then that, that led me to that, but it was like full blown, like, anime style daggers shooting from your eyes yeah. like just <laughs> just it was such a great meeting but it was such like the hand of fate you just can't you can't look back and see that and not see the hand of fate involved that is it so really cool. cool oh yeah yeah that, that's, so cool. that's incredible you know um, i'm i'm about three quarters of the way through stolen to wear his crown and oh, as i was reading through it i was just like Marcella knew presents before she even started this. Like it is so, <laughs> it's so clear. It's just, it's such a just great present story, especially with the soldiers storming in. And like that's oh, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, so one of the things we talked about a lot, and and that Macy and Caitlin do for each other quite a bit is is one of the great things about presents is is oddly so you know you have these expectations and people will will put so much on the idea of like you get the same thing and people have expectations and that is so true but one of the things as an author in any line any category line that's really great is by being given a parameter you then have this crazy space to work in and so you're like how how over the top how much how far can i go in the space of these parameters. And so that was that that's what we talked about a lot. So I mean like as you'll get like Caitlin has cult leaders and like like crazy like amnesia and just unlike on your forbidden stepbrothers. <laughs> like all these all these things you're like, how far can I take this? And so so I wasn't I initially, you know, I, I hadn't been so aware of this. It was really kind of subconscious. And this is like another thing I love about romance. My As a teen, I was in, I was kind of shy. I would use book covers and I'd be like, I'm not reading this. And my grandpa would be like, you and your smut. <laughs> and like, so I had this really, my aunt, my beautiful aunt, who's just like, 
such a, a hippie, free spirit person. She at one time was like, you should never be embarrassed. She's like, people complain about this, but it's actually really sophisticated because romance always reflects the culture that it that it is written in, the culture and the time and the constraints that particularly women are existing in, but also just like that, that's going on. So she's like, so it's very subversive actually. And she told me this a long time, like when I was young and I held on to it and then meeting Megan and uh, Caitlin, sorry, Caitlin Cruz is her is her pen name. So um, meeting meeting the two of them, we really got to explore that a lot more. And I still I wasn't super conscious of it because the thing I was conscious about when writing Stolen to Wear His Crown was this. Um, I had this driving urge, especially at that time, to write write the same happy endings I love, but put people in them who I had seen or who were more like the people I had known, but to give them the happy ending because I love the happy ending. And I think, I think every happy ending is believable when it's got the right setup and every person can be in that happy ending and no matter it, what kind of person they are. And so I was just really, really driven by this urge to give people happy endings that had not had them. And at the time of writing that, I mean, we also, we were dealing with, with a lot of really heavy cultural issues and it wasn't, it wasn't at the time I just did, but I actually, looking back, I, I was like, oh, that's such a reflection of both my anxiety at the time, because you had SWAT teams busting in and, 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 and arresting and attacking black people. And they didn't get happy endings in real life. Those stories didn't have happy endings. And it was interesting to see that now you're like, oh, it's presents, it's light, it's silly, but it also does reflect the heavier thing. So she does get, she does get ambushed by the SWAT team and her ending is that she becomes queen. That SWAT team takes her from the ground to the crown. And so like that, that is, I was like, oh, that's so funny that that so reflects like both the anxieties as well as the like imagination and drama and all the things that are in presents. And then, but I was able to just like see how much that reflected both of those things as from just all of it yeah. all in once. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is- we definitely have to talk presents because Aaron and I chat <laughs> presents all the time, but let's backtrack a moment. So we typically ask origin stories here, but we did some snooping on your website and and the Harlequin YouTube channel. And you shared on a video that you did that it was Say You Love Me by Johanna Lindsay. That was the first romance that you read cover to cover. Mm -hmm. You had tried to sneak and read one of your mom's romances before then, but this was the first one. So tell us about Say You Love Me and what was it about it that was like, okay, I need more of this. So, so I mean, ironically, it's very presency. Jonna Lindsay is just a very presency author in general. Like, so she doesn't, she wasn't writing presents, but she was writing that was similar, just like, wait, this is unbelievable. Uh, like, but I can't get enough. <laughs> like, and unbelievable in a way that you can't get enough of. So Say You, say you Love Me opens up with a young, a young aristocratic woman auctioning off her virginity because her family has filed, fallen on dire straits and she is certain, she is certain that this is the only way <laughs> that she can save them. And so she's like coming up and this like innocent girl who's just like, just good hearted and just doing so I gotta I've gotta save my family. So she she comes up with this crazy scheme and the hero of that story, he's he he's been drugged to this event by his um 
rapscallion cousin. So his cousin's like, I heard about this crazy thing. Let's go. <laughs> and he's like, I don't want to go to that. I don't like that. <laughs> and he goes, uh, but he goes and he's going, he's mainly, he's like, I'm just here to make sure that my cousin doesn't get into any trouble. See, this young woman steps up and he's like, I can't let this, what this happen. And he, so he steps in and he, he, um, bids on her he bids on her to save her from the other people who are bidding on her and he outbids all of them driven by his heroic urge to to protect her and stand up for her and that starts off their journey and um he initially he has no intention of 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 following through on his bid but of course they fall in love so later later it all happens but it 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 just so it's the first thing and i was just like the setting and scene is just so outrageous just outrageous and um but that it had a sweet and happy ending and that he was so heroic and good and then he was part of a family and so then that opened the gateway for a full glom where I was like, I have to read all of these books for this family. And then I read all, all of her books wow. <laughs> and she, she has some really, she's a huge influence on me to the point that Macy actually made me this mug that says, what would Joanna Lindsay do? <laughs> and on the back, it's a heart full of things that are different tropes and different I things. I see kidnap on that, there. <laughs> so she does kidnap. She's kidnapped alpha heroes, like exotic pets and locations, like all these things that you actually find in presents all the time. Like these yeah. are all very, very common presentsy things. Um, and I, what was really funny is Macy was in secret making me this mug, um, but she asked, she's like, "So, what are some of the things that you think you love about Joanna Lindsay?" And I. <laughs> had already made a list <laughs> so <laughs> I was like oh it's funny you should ask and I just took her picture of this long list that I had written and so these are also just the details from that list <laughs> um, true friendship that is true, true friendship. Friendship. no and, and she and it was just so great so she's such a like I can't say enough about Macy and Caitlin because they are such great mentors and just really supportive of of people who want to do this who want to go into this field who want to achieve this dream they just really follow them get into them they they give great advice they are just really on it but um because of Joanna Lindsay, like it was falling in love with these fights. So one of the things on here is actually feisty heroines. And one of the things that she did in so many of her books that I love to this day is she puts a, she, her heroines are fierce and brave and, and the, they're the women who wear pants in the time when women aren't allowed to wear pants. They're the women who, um, go do brave, daring, outrageous things because that they're driven to by their heart. They're passionate. They're full of fire and energy. And so I, I just like when it was my turn to kind of come to this writing practice, I, of course, was just so influenced by her. I was going to write heroines that were non-traditional, that were brave, that, that did not, um, that never bowed or shied away from these like incredibly domineering, powerful men that they encountered. And, and that these heroes were just like, she, she also, she writes some heroes that are just like, she's got a lot of bully romances and just a lot of heroes where you're just like, this is out of control, mister. You just need to take that down a notch. And so, so she just, it's all of that. And so I, I just was so inspired and I've read lots of other authors. I got really into romance just as a big fan. So um, went into contemporary, went into historical Western, like all of it, paranormal. I love it all. And so, but Joanna is this, this, this 
like it's my she always remember your first yeah. <laughs> like she's, yeah. she's the one she's the one who influences me so I would say she's the biggest influence on my work at all because I I tend to want I say I want a hero that gives you the feeling that I got when I encountered a Jana Lindsay hero and I want a heroine that makes you feel that way too and so that whenever I kind of start it's always really like it's almost like she's right there over my shoulder and unfortunately but in a one of those like oh of course cosmically she actually they announced her death right after my first book deal and it was this weird thing so I think when I write I also try to kind of say I'm taking up your mantle I am I am I'm sitting here and your spirit is with me and that's not to like not to not acknowledge the fact that she also was very of her time and did do a lot of things that we don't really like to see very much anymore but <laughs> but those, but I still just, she's just so my example and my my mentor model. So that's so cool. Oh, that is, that is great. Well, his bride with two royal secrets is part of the pregnant princess continuity. How did this series come to be? So again, Macy. So this is Macy's idea because so um, right, Jackie, Jackie started writing for Presents right around the same time that I did. So hers came out just before mine. And so we were suddenly found ourselves where Macy, Jackie, um, Caitlin, and I were all writing for Presents at the same time. And um, Macy, Jackie, uh, Caitlin, and Nicole have a cowboy series that they do together. And I was just like, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be so cool to do a series? Like and to write something with all your friends. And that's so cool. And so I-, I You can't Macy say made- something like that to Macy <laughs> or not yeah. be like, ding. Exactly. And then she was like, all right, we're doing this. So she went to the editors and she's like, this is what I want to do. What do you guys think? And so the editors were like, we love that idea. Let's do it. And that's how it happened. Um, (laughs) It was was just such a whirlwind too, because it was right. I I had just like, just gotten, uh, just gotten the contract to do the two, to finish out the uh, Queensguard trilogy. So I had, I had, it was just happening so fast. And so this, we just jumped right onto this too. And um, it it was really neat. One of the things that was surprising about it was I was so like I just like the 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 optics of it were so exciting to me of just like friends writing a series together. They are all much more experienced writers than I am, and they have been doing this for a lot longer. And one of the things that came that like rose up for me right away when we started was that I actually it because I I have I'm. I'm a lot farther behind them on the learning curve on like exactly how to craft and how to do it. And each time I still have a big lesson with each book that I write so far, I still have a big, Oh, that's what I was doing there. And that was holding me back. Or that was, that was twisting me up. And so it was actually a lot harder than I anticipated it would be because they write faster than I do. And they, um, they've, I mean, they've, they've all been writing for like over 10 years and, and I was in my kind of first, first two years and really learning it all. And so I, they would, they, when they're working on their stories, they're like, Oh, here's a chapter, here's a chapter. And I, I just couldn't keep up with that. And I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with them in the same way that I had hoped to, but they did by the pressure and the challenge and the drive to kind of to tr- to do the do the best you can to keep up, I actually ended up feeling more satisfied with that book than than even any of the others because they just get a little better. You learn each time. 
Um, but it was definitely hard. And I definitely found myself being like, well, I'm out of my league a little bit here. Wow. <laughs> I imagine doing a continuity in general has got to be intimidating, regardless of who you're working with. But if you're like the new author mm-hmm. and everybody else has all these years and books under your belt, it's got to be like, oh, my gosh, I am out of my league. But like when you sit back and think about it, it's like what a wonderful opportunity mm-hmm. to just learn, you know, mm-hmm. that's incredible. No, so I mean, I only I so. I, I had I had, had this vision where we would be exchanging chapters and it would just be so um, it, it collaborative in the fact of like we were really in it. When it got to be my turn, I, I just I ended up just getting absorbed in it. So I actually only was able to even send them ahead of time a few chapters. But even that little bit, every single piece of advice that they gave, every bit of response ended up getting incorporated into the different rounds of revision because they just know what they're doing. They're like, this mm-hmm. this start is maybe not the starting place. This maybe needs to increase the tension here. This I don't understand why this motivation is happening. So why why did they do this crazy thing? I think that needs to be uh, elaborated or strengthened or, or drawn out more. And everything everything that they pointed out, again, they are experts. And so it was really, it was a lot of work. And then we were also moving at the time too. So this was around <laughs> the same time that we're doing the big move. And so it was just, I all I could do is put my nose to the grindstone and just work. Um, but it, there, that influence and the, the pressure, all of it actually really did a lot to improve me as a writer. But it was not easy. It was one of those in, into the fire moments. Yeah. Well, I have a, a, a random question that I don't want to forget before we move on. So how did working as a bookseller, I always find it fascinating when we have writers who were booksellers before. Did that influence your writing or how you approach romance at all? Um, Definitely. So, I mean, I still, so I still work with the bookstore. So even though we've moved, I actually, we still do a once a week call where we do all the ordering for the store. So I'm still ordering, which is, is really a lot of how it influences what you do because you are so constantly aware of everything else that's coming out. You're very aware of like across genre, across everything. And you get to see the trends, you get to communicate, you know a lot more directly with readers. Um, but then, uh, so, but but coming into romance is a little different because romance readers don't necessarily get their books in the same places and get their, their books necessarily in the same process that, that other readers, other genre readers do. Um, so you have to do this balance of you're like, I'm, I'm very aware and in tune with what's going on in the publishing industry, but I also need to remain in tune with my readers who are not published industry insiders, who are not keeping, they're not tuned into the same channels and their, their um, interest and drives and um, what they're looking for does not necessarily get reflected in the same way that the, the, the general publishing trends or things are saying. So it's definitely this balance of being aware of what's out there, aware of what's going on, and then also being tapped into both myself as a reader and then other romance readers to see what's what's on the ground in their hearts and minds and things like that. Okay. But it, okay. it's a great way. It's great to be exposed in the world all the time and to really be just inundated with books and to be kind of aware of like also aware of what's selling. So I, I would say that it's a danger to try to write to anything that sells. Like I would I would never suggest anyone write to what they think is going to sell because things change and the timelines don't line up. Uh-huh. Um, but I would say that it, it is useful to see because I do get a little bit of a hint of trends that are coming around. I do get a little bit of a hint of um, things that 
are going out maybe like Ooh. they're going down it's even that is delayed because it's still looking at what's coming out but you're saying you'll see like oh there's a lot of like so actually really interestingly and i don't know why this happens culturally other than i'm guessing like collective consciousness um though things come out in groups so right now there's a ton of books a ton of romances about bookstores or set in bookstores or with I've bookstores noticed it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you see those types of things coming down the line. So you'll see this, oh, this this crop of, of things with this subject are coming out. And then you see that kind of start to get, you see that get saturated and then you see that kind of like start petering out. So I feel like for a while, so one thing that you're really not seeing very much of anymore is anything that really has to do with um, online dating or online life. Um, mm, yeah, which was just another, there were a bunch of books where you'd have online dating featuring, or you have online kind of presence, or someone's a social media star, or some of those kinds of things are going, have like kind of disappeared and trickled out. And now you're seeing this surge of bookstores and, and small towns and coming in and like more close relationships. And then you can kind of step back and see how that reflects the trends that are happening wider. As you saw that everybody's online, everyone's out. And then we all went into a pandemic and suddenly everyone is not online and out in the same way because you can't be. And suddenly you see this rise in kind of hometown, small, close kind of stories and settings and environments and contexts. So it's those types of like waves and trends that you kind of see come in and out. Um, But TikTok has changed that too. So TikTok brought all these books uh, that had been he- like in it, already out even yeah. just yeah. brought uh-huh. them back up to people's attention in a way where people hadn't maybe they missed it or they didn't they didn't they would never aware of that that corner of the book world and now suddenly it's everywhere and so that's been an interesting thing to see how that also then comes in because that's not from inside publishing that's very much from outside publishing but I do try not to let it, it guide too much I still I still when I come back to it I'm still just like what would Joanna Lindsay do like what would what makes me excited and feel energized <laughs> Marcella when is the next paranormal peak coming no, that's what I wanted to ask. No, no, I've been so this is really funny. I feel like right now the thing that's holding it up is a um so it's a combo. So there is a little bit of a rise because you have the Fae because of book talk. So you have like Fae paranormal being kind of big, but only in a certain certain shape and frame. Yeah. Um I think that in general the thing that's holding up the paranormal um wave is the the creature like the 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 magic like i think that we're so we had our vampire and shifter like vampire going into shifter thing and that was like that was this powerhouse that came out and i definitely see this it's not going to be vampires and shifters again it's not that's not what people want and for a while i was like is it going to be witches is it going to be mermaids is it going to be aliens like but it seems like there's not a consensus the way there was with vampires and shifters. Like it doesn't seem like there's a, an audience agreement on where the direction for paranormal, the next big paranormal move should happen. Yeah. And that that's the deciding factor right now. And that's why it hasn't happened in the way that maybe we've seen after other similar, like after a recession, paranormal becomes really popular, but we were like, Oh, there's a recession, but we have, we haven't agreed on yet what the next paranormal um, arena is is yeah. going to be. So I think we're waiting. I don't. I don't know. I literally on a weekly basis am talking about this very subject. I'm like, what is it going to be? Is it? 
is it it's like w- witches really seemed like they were like i really felt like witches were going to be the the next Same, uh, yeah. the next thing and so i i feel like that there's a chance but then also watching trends that does seem to be like plateauing in a way where they're like I'm not seeing the same crop of books coming out, like the same numbers and the same kind of like publishers are buying this one, but there are still there. So witches, I think, are at the t- at the front of the line right now. I don't know. I don't see. I don't know though that like it's it's t- nobody's nobody's jumped out ahead of the pack yet. And until that happens, we won't have the surge. I don't think. Yeah. I always I think that in the traditional publishing world, it feels very paranormal rom com. There's not a ton, but what we get is like paranormal romantic comedies, which is, it's it's really fun. In the indie world, I have this conversation a lot, like, is monster romance the new paranormal? But like you and Aaron, I'm just kind of sitting back, like, when is it going to happen? But we had the opportunity to talk with an old Nocturne author, Michelle Hoff, and one thing she shared that i wholeheartedly I'm like okay don't ruin this the next time it happens is she's like it became overly saturated she's like there was just too much and I'm like Mm -hmm. if we get another paranormal movement Mm -hmm. I know everybody's gonna be excited but let's not ruin it by having (laughs) too much of it (laughs) no and like actually that I think is like that's that's the wave as you see like you can tell when with anything when you hit a certain saturation and you're like there are so many books on this week's on sale list that are in this category that you know we are just about to see the wave break because because yeah. there's it's like you said it's just too much to choose from it's too much to try to navigate and swim through and so you then then readers tend to go to something that's a little easier for them to just grab their book on yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> okay it's so cool that you you're a bookseller we could talk books all day <laughs> let's talk about your book some more okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Aaron bought up his bride with two royal secrets. Um, it's a marriage of convenience romance <laughs> with a pack that includes no love, no passion, and no heirs. And I just have to say, the fact that it kicks off literally like in a car garage, I was like, <laughs> I don't think I've ever read this in a romance novel, and I loved it. Um, <laughs> we would love to hear just about your experience of writing Jag and Rita's book. Um, so we knew, um, we, when we were working on the continuity premise, you kind of come up with like some of the, like the points that will be your anchors. So one of them was that that all these brides we knew would be unsuitable brides. So it was so funny because we were like, okay, what we're, we're texting in in our group text. And it's like, what's your, what's yours going to be? And I just knew, I was like, mine's going to be a mechanic. (laughs) I just knew it. I was like, I want to, I want a mechanic, a mechanic princess, because this is also, there's like, we, we knew they would be royal too. So we're like they're royal but they're also unsuitable like what can we make how can we like what unsuitable princesses do we have and a mechanic came to me immediately um i i so i i love cars and i have this um before i i mentioned earlier that i had left my career path so my career path is in um natural resource management and so i love cars but i love the earth a lot more and so mm-hmm. i have this personal conflict because the way that cars were in my life, it was this thing. Um, so my my family background is really, really diverse. So I have a lot of different cultural influences. And but but interestingly, cars were this thing that was a similar like a sim- there was a similar love for cars in all of my different family lines. So it was something where 
my mom's dad would would take me to go on drives and my my dad's mom dad's stepmom would take me to concept car shows and then i and my dad and i would go to the car exhibit like the classic car exhibits at the art museum or just these different things that i was doing with all these different parts of myself that were not usually connected and so there's this it's just there's a sentimental love i have for it but i also have this huge conflict because i just know that we just shouldn't be driving cars <laughs> and so like and then that's this tension so one of the things that's really fun to do as an author is to write a better world or write write the world that you want to see and so i knew like i wanted to try to use use the idea of a mechanic to bridge these things and to write the better world. And so I, and I, even before Rita came to be, I, I, I had this private dream of getting a classic car because I like, I just love these classic cars and then having a conversion project and converted to electric. And so when we were coming up with our unsuitable princesses and, I, and the mechanic just came to me right away, I knew too that it would be my chance to play with this idea of making better cars. <laughs> and, and then I got, and that's how Rita came to be is this she's she's she gets to be the genius and she gets to be the person who who knows how to do it even though i don't know how to do it <laughs> i am not an engineer and i am not a mechanic <laughs> and so so she got to be that and so i got to be like okay well what is who like i have my mechanic and then i knew too then we also picked our our heroes so we knew that who was going to have what kind of hero and um and so, and this is an interesting thing. It's like, this is a, the car, the car blending became the bridge because um, just one of the things that I actually find really fascinating is the, the, the setting is a fictional emirate, but it is based on um, the UAE. And so knowing that like the, in a, when they visit and she mentions the cars that the police have, like she's, she's mentioning the real cars that in the UAE, the police fleets are. So there's just this passion for luxury cars that exist over there. And that really came um, to work well as the bridge. And so having her be this mechanic, she's, she's smart and she's gritty. She's like, like my classic Joanna Lindsay, she's a woman in a man's field. She's doing all these things. Um, and, Again, really pulling to Joanna Lindsay, um, one of my favorite books of hers is called Man of My Dreams. And it, the it's a duke, it's a historical with a duke. And the heroine is obsessed with horses. She's like, loves horses. And the duke is as well. And there's a scene where he overhears her talking to his horse. And she's just like, it's very sensual. And it's very, and he wakes up to this like sensual dialogue happening, thinking something else is happening. And he goes to catch her and she's in there just stroking his horse. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I love that scene. And when I came to this and I'm like, my mechanic, my horse, she's it's horsepower. It's this. And I actually based the scene of him walking into seeing her caressing the car. The fur, yeah, the Ferrari. In, in, in the scene. And that's actually the inspiration for that is like my homage to Joanna in this book was the opening scene where she is stroking the car and he just walks in. Um, and actually, interestingly, that... Um, 
that was always supposed to be the opening scene, but I did not have that as the opening scene of the first round. So initially I had opened with a scene with the prince to, to introduce him in a different way. And then the feedback was quickly like, this is really where the story starts. Wow. This is the moment. This is where it happens. And so that all like came into into that. And then so we open in our in our garage with our spinning Ferrari. <laughs> so <laughs> Oh, this is great. I uh, This has been such a great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, as readers, when reading a marriage of convenience romance, the why behind it is important, along with what's in it for the characters, which you capture both so well with Rita and Jack. What advice would you give an aspiring author who is trying their hand at writing this trope? Um, so this is a thing that, that guides me a lot as a writer, and that is that first drafts are fertilizer, or if I'm feeling less polite, I say a different word instead of fertilizer. <laughs> um, but so just that is a thing. This book, this book actually had a lot of revision because of those two, like those specific things is really strengthening that. Um, it really, it really took a lot of work to make sure to, to dig into the characters enough to really get why they would both agree to something so outrageous. Like why, why would someone who's otherwise brilliant but also traditional agree to this crazy idea? And why would somebody who is so powerful agree or even put forth the idea of marriage when it wasn't necessarily required? Why would those two things happen? And so I knew that they did happen, but uncovering the really why the whys did take take time. And it took people asking like, well, why? Why did they do that? And then you really have to go back to character and kind of dig into what's motivating them and what you know about them. And that that's what we did with this book is we just kept going back. And if it was when it didn't feel strong enough, we just I went back and dug further in and dug further in. And and in what was really interesting, I think Jag was the hardest, actually. Um, Jag was the hardest to get in there because it, the thing that came to me the la like at the end for Jag was how dedicated he was to his people and to being a good ruler and how that played in because we started knowing that they that they had made this pact to find unsuitable brides that they had done this that they'd done this but then what all of those agreements what not they tied him in. I didn't understand the not fully until I realized that he also didn't want anything that he did to negatively impact the people that his life was really supposed to be on behalf of and for because he knew and was so aware of and related to his core wound is that he would not like he knows his people love him and he's been hurt with love before and is aware of it. So he's actually despite the shields and guards he puts up, he is actually very sensitive to the power of love and very responsible to it. And so he, until I really realized that he, he was all these things, he is powerful and he's aware of his power. So why doesn't he use it carelessly? Well, it's because he cares about people because he cares about how his choices and decisions affect the common people of his country. And in once that really came in, that allowed it to be kind of like, okay, well, if that's true, as well as these things, what, what position does that put him in? And then that answering that question became the answer to the why and what's in it, because he suddenly in meeting Rita had an answer that didn't hurt his people, where he could do what he had said he would do, but it wasn't going to hurt the people that he cared about, or and the people that he cared about in this case, being his people of his nation. And with her... I knew I knew early on 
I knew I knew very early on that she was estranged from her parents and that but that her estrangement, the way that her estrangement affected her was like that in a way like similar to Jag, where she has a deep respect for the institutions of family, but then also had been very deeply hurt by family. And that her reaction to being hurt was to try to like withdraw and shield herself and literally withdraw from the world to have no one know who she is and no one know. And that that to kind of and say that like then when I get offered this opportunity that doesn't ask me to to re-engage like that like where but but speaks to something that I long for anyways because that is a deep longing that never went away even though it was thwarted and so that 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 gets you to a oh okay that's why that's why she would agree to this that's why he would agree to this that's why he would suggest it in the first place rather than just going with a for sure come along or this why x y and z like really getting into how their um their wounds how their motivations their drives their loves and how um their way of thinking in in being the fact that most people are protective and most people will try to kind of help cushion themselves from the world, like how that urge to cushion yourself impacts the way you look at things and make decisions. And that was really like, like getting unpacking all of that with these two characters was really how we got to like, oh, this is actually this does actually work. It doesn't seem weird that this innocent woman would actually do this because she she covered her bases. And she kind of is like, oh, this actually works for me. And that this man who can have anything would actually put himself in the vulnerable position of asking someone to be asking a stranger to be his wife because it, it actually works for him with all of the other urges and motivations and conflicts that he has. One thing that Aaron and I talk about all the time <laughs> is the presents hero. So can you share with us what you think makes the presents hero special and how you go about writing them? So, so it's, it was really interesting. It's coming in print. So I, again, going back to Joanna Lindsay, she writes an alpha hero. She does not write like all of her heroes are alpha heroes. And um, because that's been a thing I've been a fan of, I was always like, I didn't always even have the words to say it. I was like, I know there is a thing that is fine about an alpha hero, but I also know that because again, like I'm, I was coming into writing romance at a time when romance was really being put under a much larger microscope than it had been like by and larger because wider groups of people were paying attention to it as than had for a long time but then also um just like this there's a lot of discussion of, of of alpha holes and all these things and 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 things that were like criticisms and things that were raised that were valid and then you're kind of as a fan in that position of you're like, okay, is the thing that I like is 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 that problem that I like? Is there do I need to kind of evolve or like or and and usually it's and <laughs> and what is what is worth salvaging and what is it that I'm responding to that is good? And so again through Rowan's book club, we had all these conversations about an alpha hero. One of the things that we were finding was that alpha heroes tended to resonate more with our with the with the whole club than not. But there was a distinct like this guy I don't like at all versus this guy we all like. So it was really kind of what picking apart what is it that's great and what is it that can be tossed away. And um, Jackie Ashenden has written a lot about heroes and alpha heroes. And she's really um, identified 
a lot of the little details that are the what makes it great and okay versus what needs to not what is not part of it. And one of the things that she's said in the past that I found really powerful was she said an alpha hero is still a hero. Like he still is like functionally the hero of the story. And and when we to pull it back even when, when do we use the word hero? When we talk about a superhero, we talk about these here like what is a hero? What does a hero do? And a hero takes actions to not harm other people, even when they often are doing so in an abrasive, gruff, even rude way, like their actions are motivated, not because they're just seeking pleasure. They're not seeking pleasure. They're not seeking gain. They're not seeking um, aggrandizement in their actions. And they are seeking usually responsibility, or if they're not a responsible hero to um, kind of, so like to hide, to like, they're reacting to wounds. They're not out there looking to hurt people. So that's one thing is a presents hero is not, um, because a presents hero is often very wealthy. A presents hero is not the wealthy person who's out getting their wealth because they're um, taking advantage or being extractive. A presents hero, like, so these types of elements of remembering that despite the fact that they might be wealthy, that they might be incredibly rude or out of control, that what's motivating them is not something is not an ill because they're not a villain. They're not actually a villain. So making sure to remember that that whatever drives them has to be noble. Like it actually has to be a thing we would align with a hero, not with someone who we would align with someone who is taking advantage. And they, but they, at the same time, they do need to be like really powerful. But then you ask the question, what is power? Like is power, are they powerful because they're, they're wealthy? No, they can't be because it's not actually wealth that makes them a hero. It's, it's their motivations and their self-control and confidence in self. Um, So the, the hero that is really autocratic and makes choices for people without consulting them. He doesn't do it because he likes power. He does it because he knows what's best, which is the thing that the heroine often will teach him that maybe he doesn't know what's best for everybody. He does have to listen. He can take all that power and strength and still direct it in a way that doesn't step over people. And so you, but you have to have underneath, like, he can start out that he can start out walking all over people, but you have to have the motivation that's underneath that not be a motivation that is about um, overwhelming or exercising his power in a way to control others, even if he is controlling others, even if this is the practical reality that's happening. The reason he's doing it has to be rooted in a noble and heroic idea. And I think that that is a big part of writing a presents hero because um, presents heroes, like they do not get, like you don't like, I've had, we've had times where I've edited, like I've been like, oh, he does this and had the editor come back and be like, that's not very alpha-y. <laughs> like he has to, he has, we gotta do something different there. <laughs> like they have to be, they have to be that kind of strong commanding, um, that, that, that force, but also, that that force can't be mean like that force can't be coming from meanness can't be coming from domineeringness that can't be coming from a place that is not heroic um and and i think too keeping in mind like what what that power and force is doing for the people around them and and especially for the heroine so 
one of the things we would talk a lot about in book club is that a lot of a lot of people who read romance are very decisive in their lives. Like they make choices, they are in charge of things, they are busy, they are organized, they are um, willing to work hard. And part of what that hero is, is someone who's not going to come to them and ask them to do more of that. Like is not going to mm. come and be like, can you tell me where you want to eat for dinner? Yeah. <laughs> like, no. You are flying me to the restaurant you picked out because I'm hungry. <laughs> like, like it's like that kind of thing. Like, we're not going to have the back and forth of what do you want? What do you want? What do you, like, because the part of the fantasy is not having to do not having to yeah. you do yeah. in your life and not having to be in charge and not having. So you want like that strength has to be there or he doesn't satisfy a present yeah. reader. Well, I love that you said that because. At, like I read yours and I'm thinking of Jag and then Aaron and I have been reading Lila Mae White's debut and mm -hmm. I think of Akeem and in both instances it's this duty that's really driving them like in Jag's case it's some revenge which is incredible <laughs> but it's still duty to people and it's an image that they want their people to see them having. And it really, it's about, it's a lot, it's a lot about respect. Like I want my people mm -hmm. to respect me. I do want to present mm -hmm. myself as a good leader to them. And the heroine is just like a wonderful part of that package for them. But <laughs> yeah, so much of it is, a, it's not harming anybody. It's, it really is like, I want my people to believe that like I have their best interest at mine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and they and, also just have to have all this money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it's so, and that's actually a funny thing. So one of like a conversation, so, um, one of the criticisms that comes up about presents is the glamorization of incredible wealth and, and all of that. And, and so I think that, I think that that's a useful criticism and that also it can drive us to writing more of the world we want. So one of the things that I love about them having all this money is that money can do things. Yes. <laughs> and so I make them do things with their money. They, they use their money to better the world around them. And, and like, that's a fun thing because I would, I would wish for the people who have the money to do it to do that with their money. Yeah. And you write yeah. the world you want to see. I'm sorry, but as a reader of them, that part of the fantasy is always incredible. I would love a <laughs> prince to just swoop in with a ton of money, <laughs> you know? It's, a swoop. it's always a swoop, too. Just... <laughs> Or <laughs> <Poor> kidnapping. <laughs> oh no, you kidnapped me and are taking me to the palace. It's awful. <laughs> oh darn. <laughs> well, Aaron, do you want to kick us out with some round out questions? Yeah, of course. So what time of day do you prefer to write? Oh gosh. So um I I don't really have much I don't have as much control over my writing schedule as I would like. And that's mainly because I have, I have little kids. So I do have an eight year old, but that's my oldest. And the other two are just like, they kind of guide the schedule. <laughs> so in an ideal world, in an ideal world, I would honestly, I, I have it. I would love to wake up and write from eight to five. <laughs> like I would write all day long and just sit and write. My kids do not let that happen though. And so um, I tend to end up either, so with my husband and I, we end up having to kind of split the day in a way. So if he's working in the morning, I'll work in the afternoon. If I'm working in the morning, he works in the afternoon. So I write or, and then after bedtime is like a universal kind of work time for us too. So 
I tend to write probably the most consistently actually late at night after bedtime. Um, but then I also write during the day. And so it's either in the morning or in the afternoon or all day if I'm on a deadline and we just all really adjust. But it, it's just kind of all over the place, adjusting to wherever you can find those minutes to get it done. Yeah. So going with that, are that you, time. do you have daily writing goals or no? Um, so I do have daily writing goals. I usually, it, I set them based on what I'm working on. So if I'm working on a presents and I don't have another thing down the pipeline or coming up really quick, I will set them, uh, there'll be a lot lower writing goals because the presents, the final total is a, is a, is a novella versus a full length. And so um, if I'm writing a presents, I will usually set myself a pretty modest goal of like a thousand to two thousand words a day. But if I'm writing a, a full length novel, it's more like two thousand to four normally. But then what often happens is because I, I'll miss days or I'll have things come up, mm -hmm. usually kid things, then I will end up with days where I have to catch up. So I will on a catch up day is 5,000 to 8,000. <laughs> like, like, oh, I'm, like, I'm going to write a lot today. <laughs> so. I'm going to go have a glass of wine for you for that day. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's incredible. You're, you're like, I am drained. <laughs> I, pulled it, I pulled it all out today. <laughs> well, last and next, what was one of the books you've, re you've finished recently and what's a book you hope to pick up next? Um, so I am on a decolonization reading kick right now. And so the book that I just finished was called Detours, and it's a decolonial guide to Hawaii. And um, I really, in wanting to read that, I wanted to read it to be here in a better way and to kind of understand. And it was brilliant. It's really, really good. Um, it's written by... Um, not only indigenous authors like indigenous, uh, indigenous Kanaka, but also um, people who have been settlers here for a long time from various backgrounds. And Hawaii has got quite a lot of people. So it was really good. And then I am also reading Book Lovers. <laughs> so uh, Book Lovers is just, I'm loving it right now. It's, it's, it's fun. It's part of that that crop of books about it is. Books I'm reading right it now. too. I was thinking <laughs> that when you said book, uh, you know, bookstore books, I'm like, oh, I'm reading book lovers right now. Yeah, book lovers is either and buy the book too is out too. So I'm excited about that when I when I'm done with book lovers. But then I'm also reading braiding sweetgrass. So, um, <laughs> those are that's what I'm I'm in the middle of right now. So. <laughs> We love, and this says a lot about us, but we love a kidnapping aspect in a story, especially in a present. So what did you enjoy about writing the kidnapping part in Stolen to Wear His Crown? Um, so... <laughs> so a lot of it is about the control. <laughs> There's a, I'm like, oh, I can't help it. <laughs> um, that's the part I love. So, um, And actually, going back to what my aunt had said about romance long ago, she was like, you know, if a vampire mesmerizes you and you have this wonderful passion experience, but you were mesmerized, so you don't have to, like, you don't have to deal with societies, like, you're a bad woman for this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I, that's what I love about a kidnapping. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, you, a kidnapping, like, and again, like, romance readers often are really, really 
in control. Like they're in control of their lives. They're in control of other people's lives. They're in control. They have to make all the decisions. And I love that, that a kidnapping relieves you of that. A kidnapping, kidnapping takes all your responsibilities and, and forces you to set them down. You, you can't worry about if you had to go to the grocery store, if you got swept away <laughs> to a luxurious exotic location. And like, I just, I think I like that a lot. I really, really love in a kidnapping and in the, that you are forcibly removed from your everyday life, but forcibly removed from the way you were stuck in your everyday life. So Mina was, Mina was so stuck in her life because at the, by the point that we meet her at, she is so taken in that I must operate within all these parameters or I will fail and I just believe that wholeheartedly. And I let that impact everything that I do. I let that impact my, the way I dress. I let that impact the way I present myself, the way I speak. And, and on her own, she would never have, have gotten out of that rut herself. She would never have learned the lesson. So you need an outside force to come in and take her out of it and force her to look at herself and ask the question, are you being fully yourself? Are you living your fully realized existence? And if you're not you're going to have to do something different. And the kidnapping is really a great mechanism for that. It literally takes her away physically, just like out of like everything is not in her control anymore and puts her in so many uncomfortable positions, but that, that force her to speak up for herself, that yeah. force her to do it. But every time, because she actually gets ambushed a number of times in the book. So she gets ambushed by the SWAT team. She gets ambushed by the beauty team. She gets ambushed like... She's like always getting ambushed and in that, in that every time she comes out better because the ambush forces her to get out of her really stuck idea that, that it's holding her back. And I think a kidnapping is such a great mechanism for that. That was like the most beautiful, most intelligent yes. way that I've ever heard that explained. And <laughs> we already loved it, but now I'm like, Oh yeah. Give us more kidnapping. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually we're joking because um, the current, the current one I'm working on, is like, and then the light kid, kidnapping element of it <laughs> my editor is like i love a light kidnapping like- <laughs> aaron love like an over-the-shoulder kidnapping. yes yeah if you do an over-the-shoulder carry that's extra points <laughs> oh gosh oh gosh that's that's my that's my favorite for joanna's quite quite good at the over-the-shoulder kidnapping <laughs> well what is one of your favorite romance tropes to read Oh goodness. So I I love enemies to lovers, which is I feel like too broad. Like because you can do enemies can love enemies to lovers can be any kind of thing. So in addition to enemies to lovers, I really um oh gosh, I love so many things. I really love enemies to lovers that also includes somebody keeping a secret identity. So like I am the princess, but I'm not letting you know because I don't want you to know I'm the princess because it will change the way you, you treat me. Or I am the king, but I am my next idea is like I got a I got a bounty hunter who's a count masquerading as a bounty hunter kind of thing. Like I like I like that secret identity. <laughs> Enemies of lovers and secret identities are huge for me. Really, really huge for me. I really also like forced proximity. I think that forced proximity is really great, and that again, a kidnapping really gives you that. Well. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, tell us you're a presents author without telling yeah. us. You're- <laughs> <laughs> I also really love one bed. <laughs> like, Again, like, tell us you're a presents like, author. Like, I was like, oh no, there's one bed. Like nobody can sleep on the floor. <laughs> How dare you break out the air mattress? <laughs> no, ew. <laughs> okay so tell us tell us one hill that you will wholeheartedly die on oh my gosh so i am not a fan of pandas and i like i don't like pandas i don't like the amount of conservation attention they get i don't like that all the pandas you see in the world are rented like i don't like that i just don't i just like not a fan of pandas. i i like i joke but i also like I don't think like I we we spend so much time trying to save pandas, and I actually think pandas are actively trying to leave us. I don't think they want to live in a world with us. <laughs> I think pandas are conscientious objectors to the, to the world at large, <laughs> and so they're trying to conscientiously object, and we're just like pouring all these resources on them. So I'm like, no, no, it's pandas. that human guilt. I'm like, we can't yeah. let this thing go, but we kind of probably screwed it up for them ourselves. No, exactly. Exactly. And I and it's not that uncommon in conservation circles because um people get really jealous about the fact that pandas get so much funding. <laughs> I'm like, what about the salmon? Yes. <laughs> like, people are like, we don't want your fish, okay? <laughs> so so pandas, pandas, I'm not here for them. That's that's the hill. People are like, but what up? No, no. <laughs> No pandas. Okay. No pandas. <laughs> no, and then so of course everyone knows that, and so they always give me panda gifts or like panda oh, no. things. <laughs> we know you love pandas so much. I'm like, mm, don't need that. <laughs> well, if you decide you want takeout for dinner, where do you order from, and what do you order? Um, so I live uh, kind of out of town. So I actually getting into town is a little bit a little bit of an ordeal. So nor- like normally, I'm like oh, what's my favorite food? I think that, but that's not really like I can't really do that. But there is one place that is so in a little kind of tiny town by like by the Seven Eleven called the Curtis Town Cafe, and I love to go there because it's this this small cafe in a rural area on Big Island of Hawaii, very, very, very remote place. And I walked in the first time and they have books for sale. I don't know where they got all these books. They have so many presents. They specifically have shelves and shelves of presents for sale. And I walked in and I was like, wait, what? I was like, I thought I was getting a burger, but you have all these books for sale and I write for these books. So I love to support the Curtis Down Cafe. So if I was getting takeout, I'm like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a platelet from the Curtis Down Cafe today. <laughs> just, I love to support them because they are just out here supporting all of us category writers. So dope. Yeah. Big shout out to them. That's awesome. <laughs> so next time you go, you have to take a picture and tag us. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That would be great. I know. We love catching cats category in the wild so oh yeah no and it's it was so unexpected it was yeah. just not what you expected when you walked in there so i will love to, i'll do it next time i go presents and pe- in burgers like what, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay tell us one of the toughest pieces of advice you have ever received um so 
so mostly, so I, like, as I mentioned, I really believe in revision. So mostly I don't find advice to be tough. I find it to be like inspiring and helpful and great. But um, I moved around a lot when I was in elementary school. And for some reason, I always missed daily oral language. So I I would go to one school and they just finished it. I would get to one school and they hadn't started, but then I'd leave before they started it. So I actually really, really missed a lot of the fundamental grammar education that I probably should have had. And so my writing is uh, sometimes it reflects that. It reflects that in a ways that I can't really necessarily always recognize myself because I genuinely don't know the thing. And so there's been advice where where I've had a few times where people are like, you need to clean this up. It is sloppy. And that has been, that's the toughest advice because it's that it it touches on a sensitivity, like a thing I'm sensitive about and also don't really know that well. And so it's hard for me to fix it. And it's like, I get embarrassed and like hot faced and everything. Um, But even that, even that advice, even when that's hard, like it always makes it better. And so I kind of come back around ultimately always to the, to the first drafts or fertilizer and it doesn't have to be perfect and you can come back and fix it. And even if it's hard for you, you can fix it and, and just kind of going back at that and and getting back to that. And I think um, even it's also kind of a good thing too, because it kind of is a reminder that like, yes, it does matter that your work is, is readable, is legible, but um but you even something so fundamental as like not always having the best handle on grammar can be overcome if you have a dream and if you have a story yeah yeah wow well knowing what you know now what advice would you give to yourself at the beginning of your writing career write shorter sentences so um my my teachers kept saying to me think Hemingway. And I did not know what that meant. Like I had no idea what that meant. So for years, I'm like, I don't, okay, um, well, I'm not going to write about old men fishing. And I'm not going to like, I don't know what you mean by that. I don't know what you mean by that. And finally, later, much later in life, I finally learned, learned and realized that what they meant was that the things that were strong about my writing that were Hemingway-esque, were things like repetition or um, uh, kind of a, a frankness about things, but that I needed to be using shorter sentences a la Hemingway because that frankness was getting lost in complicated sentences. And so I would say, write shorter sentences. And so I would understand earlier. <laughs> this I understand has been- now why that. Well, the Hemingway app is always telling me my sentence is too long. So. <laughs> no, it's like right shorter sentence. You're like, oh, I get it. <laughs> this so has you just been the best, most random answered. <laughs> <laughs> right shorter sentences. Um, pandas are a no. One day, you know, Caitlin Cruz and Maisie Yates walked into the bookstore. Like, you know, th- I love when these take us by surprise. So. <laughs> so lastly, where can everyone follow you online? So I am on Instagram and on TikTok. So and I TikTok's kind of random. So just be ready. It's <laughs> random. <laughs> but I think that's what point, TikTok I don't is. Think we'd expect anything different. <laughs> <laughs> And I told oh, well, you, contents may surprise you. <laughs> well, that's great to know that you're on TikTok because I've been trying to figure out how to feature you on my vlogging project. And I, I tweet out 
you know, as I'm reading through the book and you don't have a Twitter and I'm like, well, how am I going to do this? So, you found her. <laughs> yeah, yes. I'll just, I love I'll just TikTok. do it TikTok this time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for hanging out with us on a random Tuesday in June. You've totally just been so awesome. Thank you so much. It's the first day of summer and it's just such a great time and a great time to talk to you guys. I've been I follow you guys, so I'm like, I just hopefully someday I can be on. I would love to be on. <laughs> so thank you so much. <laughs> well, <laughs> listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We will have all the places where you can keep up with the incredible Marcella Bell. We cannot wait for more books from you. And Aaron and I will chat with you in our next episode. <laughs>